Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder at Generations Church, and I'm joined, as always, with my good friend and the lead pastor at Generations Church, Mr. Jeff Luddington. How you doing this morning, Jeff? I am doing well. Been up since early. I've had <laughs> lots of coffee. I'm going to talk really fast. We got great ideas. Okay, I got to stop. All right, good. All right. Yeah, yeah, it is early. And, and to be honest, this question that we're dealing with today is a tough one to do anytime. But in the morning, <laughs> man, you got to get your brain going. Um, so we are in the middle of our series, Questions from the Classroom, as we're answering questions from students in our uh, high school Bible classes. And the question today revolves around the idea of predestination. It's a mm-hmm. big topic. Um, one of the basic questions is what should we believe about predestination? But another one, a student asks this, they say, even though there's evidence for in scripture for predestination, mm-hmm. how can you say that God is loving if he predestines some people to go to heaven, but in contrast, he also predestines some, he creates some with the knowledge that they're not going to go to heaven, they're going to go to hell. How would you answer that student? Yeah, so here's the premise, right? Um, we're, we're saying that Scripture teaches us about God. So the premise is we believe in Scripture. So we have a starting point. What does Scripture say about God? Because if we don't believe in the Bible, then we don't have to believe either that God is loving or that predestination exists. However, if we believe in the Bible... Predestination is something every Christian must reconcile in their own faith because the Bible uses it six different times in the New Testament, right? And then other words like chosen and elect and, uh, you know, foreknew and all kinds of things, right? So if, if we're starting from a biblical premise, then what does Scripture say about God? And this is such a big topic. Like you said, it's huge, right? We have to kind of limit for a podcast what we talk about. So Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 were probably, uh, and, well, I would say and Ephesians 3 were probably the most formative. Uh, I, was in a, I was in seminary and I was told that this Calvinism predestination thing was wrong. I read a book telling me how it was wrong. And as the book began to quote scripture, um, I realized, okay, I don't necessarily agree with how they're using scripture. I think they just misquoted that verse. And so I began to study this. And I'll say that Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, the whole book of Ephesians, but those three chapters reshaped my entire view. And I read them over and over and over again every day for a while while I was wrestling through this. And so I'm going to read some of it today. Starting in Ephesians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what I want to say to every listener today is, Listen to the movement in the passage or the energy in the passage or the who's doing the action and to whom, right? And so, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. That's us, the reader, us, the believer, us, the church. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, so the movement from God to us through Christ. So verse 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. So here's our question today. If God is loving and predestination is true, how do we reconcile, right? So in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace. Grace is that unmerited salvation favor given to us that we didn't deserve, but God gave it to us anyhow, in love, right, grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Beloved, by the way, if you're reading along or listening along, is Jesus. So here's what we get. Even as God chose us in him, meaning Jesus, before the foundation of the world, so long before humanity, this plan is in place, right? In, in Reformed theology, we call that the covenant of redemption, right? The covenant of grace that pre-exists, uh, that we should be holy and blameless. So there's an outcome. So not only does God choose to do this, but he chooses an outcome, holy, blameless in Christ. And then it says, in love, he predestined us. So there must be something loving about this, this predestination thing, right? And if, and if you're unfamiliar, predestined, uh, just like it sounds, right, to determine beforehand. He beforehand gave us a destiny, right? And so he predestined for us adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's blessed us in the beloved, right? So it circles back to he blesses us. But here's the component, right? That it's his plan, his choice, before the foundation, before we could do anything right or wrong, he predestined us for adoption to himself according to his purpose. Now, whenever we encounter questions about God, uh, a lot of times they get to the why. Why does God do this this way? Why, when I pray, does he answer a month from now and not right now? And, and sometimes we get answers. A lot of times it's the mind of God, and we just don't know some of the answers, right? But here's what's, so what we do in those moments is what's clear. Here's what's clear. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. He predestined us in love for adoption, right, according to his purpose. Yeah, I love that image of adoption. I think it's that that idea that someone is is choosing you, an adult is, is a couple is choosing a child to love, yeah. to make their own. Um, obviously, the child doesn't choose the parent. It's, right. the, it's the parents that come in and choose the child. I've had students in my class who have been adopted, mm-hmm. and when they read this passage, they can understand the idea of somebody choosing to love them, and I think that's a great image that's, that Paul puts in this letter. You know, I've never met an adopted I know that adoption, especially at different ages, I know it comes with problems, maybe, you know, a bad, ha- bad history or, or maybe questions or whatever. But there's lots there, right? But what I've never heard is someone who's been adopted by parents not feel like adoption was loving, like they loved that child. And maybe it was a bumpy road, right? But we talk about uh, nobody adopted ever asked the question like, how come they adopted me? What about Susie and Joe over there in the corner, right? How is it, how are my parents loving if they didn't choose all the kids? Now, they never say that, right? And so adoption is a beautiful metaphor because it gives us something to anchor to. And all the images of salvation in the Bible, primarily they exist in the New Testament, but uh, all of them saved, uh, adopted, redeemed from death to life, made alive, right? Regenerated, born again, all those things. All those things are images of, or uh, yeah, metaphors of, images of, things we cannot do. Born again. Like you had nothing to do with you being born. I didn't have anything to do with it. It happened to us, right? Save. Someone's drowning in the ocean. They're not swimming and struggling. They're drowning. They're beyond being able to help themselves. They need a lifeguard or they need something, right? They need to be saved. Well, 
that's this adoption they need a parent to choose them and it's loving and it's good to save someone is loving to choose them is loving to adopt them is loving and so i think it's a false contrast what we do is we leave us and we go to someone else well i i think it's best to stay with us in this moment so in verse 7 it goes on it says in him meaning jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So here again, it admits that the mystery of God's will is oftentimes just that. It's a mystery, right? It's hard to understand. And then it says, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, right? God has a purpose here that we don't always understand. In fact, I would say most of the time, we don't understand God's purposes, right? We may see what he's doing, we may not. But even when we see what God is doing, we don't always get all the, the ramifications of why or the purposes of the will or the big picture plan, right? And so it says, uh, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In class, one of the doctrines I teach the students uh, that we circle back to a lot is the Latin phrase finitum non capix infinitum. Calvin used this, others have used this. It's the idea that the finite human beings, you and I, right, we're finite, we're limited. We have a start and a stop. We have a capacity issue. We don't know everything. The finite non capix cannot grasp or contain or fully understand the infinite, meaning God, right? My little tiny brain can't fully get the infinite, unending God. Right. And I think, I think we all struggle with that because we want answers. We want to sure. know. We want to know why. And when we don't get those answers, I think that's when we're called to trust God. Right. We, God has revealed himself to us. We know he is good. We know he is loving. Yeah. Um, we know he is just. We know he's merciful. And so in all those things, if we don't know why God is doing what he's doing, we can trust that what he's doing is what's best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... If this last year of coronavirus has taught us anything is we don't understand everything, right? We don't understand, you know, why God? A lot of questions end up with why, and we're not always told why. So back to what are we told clearly, right? So verse 11 that in Ephesians 1 goes on, in him we have obtained, right? Not we obtain, we have obtained, right? It's all the emphasis, all the powers on God. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And again, it's just this heavenly, divine, big picture, I don't always understand it, purpose and counsel of God's will. Anyhow, it goes on and says, so that we who are the first in Christ, uh, to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, meaning in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul keeps inserting like to the praise of his glory. He, he just keeps, Paul is driven to worship when he talks about God's sovereignty over salvation. And here's a piece of it. He writes about the guarantee of our inheritance, right? And so you have to play things out theologically as well as just logically. So with free will, meaning I can choose anything I want to, which we all know we can't. I can't choose to never sin again, even though I'm saved and have the Holy Spirit, I'm going to struggle, right? We can't choose to, you know, 
we're talking about classrooms, right? You can't choose to not go to school, not do homework, and still get an A. Like, you have limits, right? I can't jump up in the air, flap my arms, and fly. I have physical limits. Well, I have spiritual limits too, right? But here's what it says. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The Holy Spirit in us is the guarantee, not the maybe, not the I hope you get there, the guarantee, right? If God is sovereign over salvation, he can guarantee something. If I freely choose, if I, you know, hey, this is all on me, God has opened this up to everybody, he isn't sovereign, he hasn't predestined, he hasn't chosen, he hasn't elected, then it's, it's, this, it's this generic salvation-like uh, Methodists who don't believe in predestination uh, talk about prevenient grace, like, like electricity that exists in a wall anybody can plug into, right? If that's true, and if it's up to you, if it's your will, not God's will, then you can also unplug, right? And your, your salvation isn't guaranteed. It's not sealed. It's not for sure. It's a maybe. It's, a, it's here, and I hope you get through the finish line. But in predestination, in election, in sovereignty of God, in Reformed theology, if you are saved, you are truly saved. So the word saved means out of the water, on the land, breathing, right? And adopted means you have a family, right? All these things, you know, born again, you're alive, spiritually alive, right? So what, why, what do we need to believe was one of the questions. What do we need to believe about this? Well, I would say the first thing is um, that it is loving. The second thing is that it's God's work, right? The third thing is this, that your salvation is actually secure in Christ, right? Now, this isn't an excuse to go sin, because if you just go, hey, I'm secure, I'm going to go do anything I want to, I'm going to ask, do you have the guarantee of your inheritance, the Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask, do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Those who have the Spirit living in them, they live differently. That's how we know. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that, you know, you pointed out that we have free will, mm-hmm. right? Well, we have a will. We have a will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the idea that... that you know, if I could plug into a wall and get sure. this electricity, I guess the question would come up, do I even have the ability to do that? I think that's what kind of turned it for me, is the idea yeah. that somebody would, would say, well, everybody can choose God. And the question I would ask was, well, really? Can everybody choose God? Um, you know, pointing to Ephesians 2, I think you talked about. Yeah, I was going to say, right? that's a great segue. We didn't plan that out. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's really good, Rob. Thanks. <laughs> hey, so let's do that. So Ephesians 2 begins with this. And, it, and, if, and if I had anything that impacted me the most, it's this, right? And so Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. So I know this is stupid. So if you're listening, please just don't click out, right? Just stay with me for a minute. Rob, what can dead people do? Not much. Okay. I mean, not anything that I can think of. Not, not much, right? Not, not anything. So dead people can do nothing because they're dead, right? Um, and so if you're dead, what do you do? Do you just say a prayer? Do you get baptized? What is it you do to become undead? Right. I mean, you, somebody could come up to you and say, hey, get up. But you can't. But you're right? dead, right? <laughs> There's nothing you could do. And so I used to teach this passage, and I would tell the church, I, I would just make it super fun and, and silly. So I'm going to ask you, what do dead people do? Everybody say nothing. Okay, I'm going to ask you that again and again and again. But I bet you by the end of this, you're going to try and tell me dead people can do something. And so I'd work through this passage. What can dead people do? And everybody yell nothing. And okay, a couple more verses. What can dead people do? Nothing. And so I get to the end of the passage. So what do you do if you're dead? What do you just reach out and ask God to be alive? And everybody's like, yes. And I'm like, no, you're dead, right? You're dead. There's nothing you can do. So listen to this passage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked following the course of this world. So you, in which you once walked, meaning physically alive, spiritually dead, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now it says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We always hear that, sons of disobedience. Oh, that's somebody else. That's not me. But we have to keep reading. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. Oh, wait. We were all sons of disobedience. Yes, we were all dead. We were all dead in our sins and trespasses. We all followed the course of this world. We were all captive to the prince of the power of this air, the spirit of the sons of disobedience. He says, among whom we all once lived. He goes on, in the passions of our flesh, clearing out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature, and we need to hear this, we were by nature, verse 3, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were born children of wrath. We were born sons and daughters of disobedience. Verse 4, but God, but God, right? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is the most loving thing God has ever done for me, God has ever done for you, is that he made us alive again in him, that he gave us a spirit. And so we will not be able to, and especially in a podcast, but if you gave me a year, I couldn't answer the mind of God, right? I couldn't tell you what about this or that, right? But I can tell you for sure that the most loving thing God ever did for a believer is make them able to be to follow him, right? To give them that ability to believe, to fa have faith, to walk in faith. That's the most loving thing God ever did was predestine them. Yeah, it's an excellent example. And I, I think for many of us, it's, it's when, when we talk about this, it brings up those why questions. But it's great to know that our salvation is secure, not because I made a decision, but because God made a decision. Yeah. And it, it's his... Um, I think I heard somebody say one time, it's the better question isn't why doesn't God save everyone, but why does God save anyone? And yeah. it's because he loves us. Um, just real quick, we're running short on time, but if, if you, you understand the idea of predestination, mm -hmm. then the questions come up, if God's totally sovereign over this, why, does it, why do I pray? Yeah. Why do pastors preach? Why do I go out and evangelize if God's going to save them anyway? Right. And I think, uh, you know, again we think about other people or whatever, but this is about us, right? This Ephesians is being written to the church, not written to the world. It's written to the people that are going to read it, right? The Bible's written to us as believers, not the Buddhist or the atheist, right? And uh, unless they come to faith, then it's to them, right? And so these are commands or guidelines or, or um, you know, how to live in faith to us, right? So why preach? Why pray? Why evangelize? Well, the best answer is because God says so, right? Because God, who loved you so much, said, here's how you're to live that out, right? Here's how you're to follow me. Here's, here's what you do in response to my generosity, my grace, my love, right? But here's the other thing, right? We don't know what God is doing, right? But he's invited us into the process. And so just like you said, I'd rather reframe the question. It's not why do it. It's, wow, we get to do it, right? Like, I get to participate in the work of God by praying for someone who doesn't believe, by, um, you know, 
loving them and serving them and, and living a life that reaches out to them by evangelizing or proclaiming the gospel to them. Yes, God is sovereign, but he has sovereignly chose you and I, all believers, to participate like little kids putting on their little work boots and grabbing their little lunchbox and heading off to work with daddy. Yeah, we're probably just getting in the way sometimes, but it's what he chooses to do, right? He wants us to join him and go to work with him, and we get to do that. Yeah, what an honor that is to be able to participate in that and to know that it's going to be uh, effective, that if, if God has called somebody, then the preaching that they hear and the evangelizing that is done for them and the prayers for them are going to be effective. And I think that's something that's important to, to remember. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. As always, we want you to share, to like, to subscribe uh, to this podcast. If you have questions that you'd like us to answer, or if you have questions about this podcast, if this information brought up some thoughts in your mind and you'd like us to answer those, feel free to email us at questions at generations.email. We release a new episode every Tuesday, and we hope you'll continue to listen. Have a blessed week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.